Good morning, dear friends in Christ Jesus. It is a beautiful morning, isn't it? I hope that we are glad to be alive and appreciate the privilege of coming into God's house and to worship him at this time. Today, as you know, is the third Sunday after Trinity, and it's also the third Sunday in June. And when that Sunday comes, we know that that's the Sunday that we have set aside in our country as Father's Day. This is the day then when we would honor our Christian fathers. Even as on the second Sunday in May, we set that Sunday aside for the honoring of our Christian mothers. I see that a number of you have your fathers with you in church, and I'm sure that you are very happy about this. And I know that some of you will visit your fathers sometime this afternoon or during the day. Some of you will call them, and others of us have Christian fathers of memory. It is fitting that we have this Sunday, for surely there is a message from the Word of God always appropriate for Christian fathers. The text that I read to you, it mentions the name of a father, Father Abraham, who was the father of a son by the name of Isaac. Abraham lived about 2,000 years before Christ. We like to think of Abraham as cutting the Old Testament in half. From the time of Adam and Eve to Abraham, about 2,000 years. From the time of Abraham to the time that Jesus came into the world, another 2,000 years. So there is about the time in history when he lived. He lived down in Ur of the Chaldees. And that land is about 600 miles east from the land that we know as the land of Canaan or the land of Palestine. Abraham in the land of Ur of the Chaldees had God come to him one day and he said, Abraham, I want you to get out of your country. I want you to get out from your father's people and from your kindred and I'd like to have you go to a land that I will give you. And Abraham, if you go as I'm asking you, I will make of you a great nation and I will again, I will bless you that in you and in your seed shall all the families of the earth be blessed. So God said, Abraham, I'd like to make you a father, a father of a great nation. And so we are told that Abraham departed as the Lord had spoken unto him. God spoke and Abraham said, this is what I'm going to do. He stands therefore today as a father, again, who was dedicated to doing the will of God, to doing what God wanted him to do. And Christian fathers, as we turn to the word for the message this morning, Abraham speaks in the word of God and he speaks to us who are Christian fathers and he calls to us and says, make this the aim of your life, Christian fathers, that you shall at all times desire to do the will of God regarding your children, that you shall want to do what God wants you to do with regard to your children, what God desires, let this be the aim, let this be the very craving of your hearts, Christian fathers, that you will do God's will, what God wants with regard to your children. We may say this morning, speaking as it were to Abraham, well, after all, is it going to mean that your life and mine, if we see that we're going to do God's will as regards our children, that our lives will be happy? How about the lives of our children? Will it make a life that is really worth living? We may say to ourselves, what does it mean to put God's will first? What will be the comforts and the joys 
and the abiding happinesses if you and I shall say, Abraham, we're going to be a father like you were. We are going to, when God speaks, we are going to do what God wants us to do. And on this Father's Day, it's well that we take time to say, so what does it mean to do God's will with regard to our children? What does God want done? What does God lay on you and me as Christian fathers as regards our children? And Abraham would remind us in the first place that determining to do God's will with regard to our children as he, Father Abraham, did when God called him to be the father of a nation, it means this, that you and I will see to it that our home, that our home is a God-fearing home. Down in Ur of the Chaldees, Abraham lived, and here he lived among a lot of heathen people. He was married at the time. He had married a woman or a young lady by the name of Sarah. She was ten years younger than he. She was, in fact, his half-sister. They both had the same father, but they had different mothers. But she was a God-fearing person, even as Abraham was, both of them worshiping the God Jehovah, the God of, again, Adam and Eve, and the God of Noah, and Shem, and Japheth, and Ham. This was the God they knew living over here in Mesopotamia, in Ur of the Chaldees. Abraham's home was a God-fearing home, and Abraham would say, this is God's will, that yours be a God-fearing home, that you as father and as mother, oh, that there is again a love for God. We may say to ourselves, does it make any difference when there is a home where there is a fear and reverence for God, when father and mother both worship him? You and I would say it makes for a real life because that means love one to another as regards father and mother, and it means an atmosphere in that home of warmth, of kindness, and it means love, doesn't it? We say, is it a life worth living when we as Christian fathers, when we heed Abraham, father, who again calls and says, make sure that your home is a God-fearing home. It's a wonderful home when there is a spirit of love, when there is a spirit of warmth, not coldness, and our children come into that home. Abraham would remind you and me, Christian fathers, make sure that it's God's will with regard to your children first, last, and always, because Abraham would say, this, this is the real complete life. This is the life worth living. And we say, what does it mean? Abraham, the great father, would remind you and me on the basis of his life that it also means this, that we will see to it that our home is not one where there's the daily temptation to turn our backs on God. When we read the account of Abraham, we are told that in his father's house, in the houses of his kindred who lived in Ur of the Chaldees, there were idols that some of them, besides worshiping the two gods, also had idols. They were worshiping the gods of the Babylonians, the gods of the Chaldeans. And God said, Abraham, I want you to get out of that environment. I want you to leave your country and your father's house and your kindred. And Abraham, he departed because he knew this was the will of God. You and I may say, well, in our houses as Christian fathers, we don't have any idols of wood and stone. But how many of us, again, are so overtaken with, again, the duties of life, the secular things that are all right in themselves? This business of making a living, the home in which we live, the environment, the status that we have, that it's so easy in our homes 
that again we turn our backs on the living God and we forget him. Abraham calls to us as Christian fathers, make sure that in your home there isn't the temptation for you or for the mother or for the children that gradually God in Jesus Christ will slip away from your fingers and he'll be gone. How many homes do you and I know this morning that started out as Christians and something's happened? God, oh again, they haven't turned into open sin, but something has happened. God has slipped through their fingers and he's gone. And here again is spiritual ruin. We say, Christian fathers, what about it? And Abraham, we read of him, when God called him to be the father of nations, so Abraham departed. Here was a man whose zeal, whose very desire in life was to do God's will, to do it as a father. We may say, what does it mean? Abraham would remind you and me, Christian fathers, that it means this, that we thank God for our children when they come. Well, they left her in Chaldees, and he traveled up to Haran, a distance of about 400 miles to the northwest. And then he started downward from Haran, going to a land that he had never visited before, the land known as the land of Canaan, known as Palestine. Where was God leading him? God had not told him the land that he would get. And so Abraham, with his party, he starts going westward, and he comes into a strange land about 600 miles due west from Ur of the Chaldees. And he gets into this land, and here he finds nothing but heathen people. They don't know the true God, and he's living in this land. And then God comes to Abraham again and renews the promise and the covenant. And he tells Abraham, this is the land that I'm going to give you. You shall be the father of a great nation. But here, Abraham and Sarah, they didn't have a son. She was barren. And so again, even though Sarah decided she was going to help God out, and she had a bondwoman by the name of Hagar, and she told Abraham, you take Hagar as a second wife and have a child, and he did, and there was Ishmael. But God let him know, this is not the son that you are to have. And then remember there came one day three men. They were angels unaware to Abraham living there in this strange land of Canaan all by himself. He, the only one that knew the true God. And the angel said, your wife is going to have a child. And uh, Sarah was, you know, in the tent hidden. She laughed. She thought that was certainly something that couldn't take place. That was ridiculous. But the angel announced that within a year, you will have a child. And when Abraham was a hundred years old and Sarah was ninety, when menopause had taken place years ago, she had a child. And she called him Isaac, which means laughter. She had laughed the first time in ridicule, in disbelief. This time she and Abraham, they laughed in joy. God had given them a son. Here was the son. Here was the seed. And from this seed would come one, God had said, in whom all the families of the earth would be blessed. There would be a Messiah. There would be a Savior who would come. And here was the seed. Here he was in reality. Here was Isaac, the son. And they called him laughter. They thanked God for their children. 
You and I may say, if we Christian fathers are going to heed uh, Father Abraham and going to thank God for our children, oh, what it means to thank God and to know that they are heritage, care our immortal souls that God has entrusted to our charge as Christian fathers. And what joy when we thank God and we welcome our children, what joy comes to our children when they know they're loved and they know they're wanted. Some of the tragedies in my ministry are kids coming to me who don't feel wanted in their own home. That's the tragedy of tragedies. When they aren't loved and they aren't wanted. Abraham and Sarah, they thank God for laughter for Isaac, who was born Abraham a hundred years old, and Sarah ninety years of age. Christian fathers, Abraham, Father Abraham, calls to you and me on Father's Day, and he says, Will you see to it that this is the aim and this is the concern of your life, to do God's will with regard to your children? You and I say, but... Does it make life really worth living? Is that the beautiful life? Is that the satisfying life? Will there be joy? That's again, we say, what does it mean to put God first, last, and always? His will that we say, these are a heritage from God. These are my children. And my desire shall be that I shall aim to do God's will. And Abraham would remind you that it means this. It means that we will give our children to the Lord Jesus Christ in baptism. Here he was over in this strange land of Canaan, 600 miles from home amongst a strange group. Then God again repeated the covenant, and I will again make of you a great nation, and from your seed will come one who will bless all the nations of the earth. And this was the promise of the Messiah, of the Christ. And then God again, he said this, he said, I want you, Abraham, to be circumcised. Abraham was the first human being to be circumcised, that he would carry in his body the mark of the agreement that God had made with him, that he would be the father of a great nation. And then God also commanded that every male child at the age of eight days should be circumcised. So Isaac, on the eighth day, he received the mark of the covenant the promise that God had made to Father Abraham, I will make of you a great nation. You shall be the father of again many, and the seed would come from your line. And so again, Abraham would say to you and me as Christian fathers, because baptism has replaced circumcision. It means this, that it's God's will that your children be presented in holy baptism, because this is a washing of regeneration. This is a being born again. This is whereby the taint of original sin is washed from our children, whereby Christ comes to live in their hearts and they become joint heirs with Jesus of eternal life. This is life at its best, Christian fathers. This is God's will. This makes for real living. We say, what does it mean, Abraham? I want to be a Christian father. What does it mean that I'm going to do God's will with regard to my kids first, last, and always? And Abraham would say it also means this, that when you have presented them to your Lord, that you will see that they grow in knowledge of him and that they grow in obedience to him. I've often wondered when here was Abraham over here in this strange land of Palestine, 600 miles from home amongst a group of heathen people. 
And here he was, he worshipped the true God, Jehovah. When Isaac grew up, what he had to tell him, I wonder how many told him, Isaac, this is the story, God came to me over in my land of Ur, the Chaldees, and he promised me that I would be the father of a great nation, and this is the land that God has given us. And Isaac, from your line, there's going to come a Messiah, an anointed one, who is going to bless the world. Oh, how Abraham must have told Isaac all about the wonderful things that had happened, training him in the things of God. What a wonderful thing it must have been when one day over here in this strange land, Abraham met a man by the name of Melchizedek. Of all things, 600 miles from home, in a strange land, and he met one man who knew the true God, who was a priest of the new God and a king. And this man, Melchizedek, he offered sacrifices to the true God, and he blessed Abraham. And we wonder, who in the world was this Melchizedek? No record. How did he ever learn to know the true God? We are told that he had no beginning, no ending. And that's why, even with Jesus, you know, we say he was a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. Jesus, the eternal one, this strange person in this land, one human being and a priest of the Most High God, and he blesses Abraham. Oh, again, what it must have meant to Isaac. Again, learning God's will and learning more about God and obedience to him. And this again, Abraham would say to you and me as Christian fathers, be sure that you realize your responsibility, that after your children have been baptized and presented to Christ, make sure that they are taught. And even though mother plays a tremendous part, nevertheless, Christian fathers, this is our prime responsibility that we see that it's done. That again, they learn the knowledge of Jesus Christ and they grow in example and they grow in obedience. The joy of an obedient child, the joy of children who have learned to obey, who have learned to love Jesus Christ, this is what it means. And this means life at its best. We say, Abraham, what does it mean to put God's will first, last, and foremost as regards our children? And Abraham would remind to me that it means to do God's will at all times, first, last, and always, even when at times you don't understand why this is God's will. We're all Christian fathers, and we may say, I wonder about God's will as God gives it to us in the Ten Commandments, why we have to put God first all the time with our kids, why they aren't to take God's name in vain, why remember the Sabbath day, why it's so, it's so all-fired important to God that we're in church with our children every Sunday and that we worship him. I wonder why that's so important. I wonder why it's so important that we see that our children, they, they honor father and mother and that they don't kill and they don't commit adultery. And we may wonder about that. Well, how do you think Abraham felt one day over here in this strange land when God comes to Abraham and he says, Abraham, I want you to take this son, this only son you've got, Isaac. I want you to go to Mount Moriah and I want you to sacrifice him to me. Put yourself in Abraham's seat. Waiting so long for a son. He's only got one son, and this is the son of promise. And the great seed from him should come, the great deliverer, the great Messiah, the one who would bless the nation. Now he's to take this only son, and he's to go to Mount Moriah, and he's to sacrifice him. What do you think, Abraham? What, what does God mean? What does God mean? But the next morning he arose early, and he took Isaac along. And Isaac, about 25 years of age, we figure, about this time, they started from Mount Moriah, and when they got to the foot of the mountain, Abraham told the servants to wait there. And they started up Mount Moriah, and when they did, Isaac looked at his father, and he says, Father, you've got the wood for the sacrifice, and you've got the fire, and you've got the knife, but where's the lamb? Where's the lamb? And Abraham turns, and he says, God will provide a lamb. 
Some way or other he didn't understand. He said, I don't understand why I'm to sacrifice this one son that I've got. But somehow God knows what he's doing and God will provide a lamb. He'll do something. Raise him from the dead. He'll do something. When they got up on the top of Mount Moriah and Abraham fixed the altar in the wood and he took his son and he bound him and there was no rejection. There was no fighting. And Abraham got the knife, as you know, ready to simply kill the son and God called No, Abraham! No! Abraham, Abraham. I wanted to see how much faith you had. And there was a ram, you know, with its horns caught in thick, and God said, you sacrificed the ram. Abraham didn't understand. And sometimes in your home and mine, we don't understand some of the will of God. But Abraham, Father Amon, say, listen, Christian fathers, even though you don't understand, let it be first, last, and always that as regards those children that you love, that it's God's will. Even though you don't understand, it makes for life worth living. It brings blessings that sometimes you and I don't realize. And above all, if death should come to our children, as so many of you have experienced it, what a comfort. What a comfort to know that you've done God's will, that you have presented them to Jesus Christ. What a comfort to know that you've got a child in heaven. This means something, doesn't it? This is Father's Day, and we say, uh, what what about Father's Day? And Father Abraham says, as we read in the Word of God, when God said, Abraham, you go, and so he departed just like that. There was no question about it, no equivocation, no hesitancy. He went as the Lord had spoken to him. There was one thing in his life, Abraham said, I'm going to do God's will. And Abraham says, as a Christian father, this is my message to you, you do God's will. And he said, what does it mean, Abraham? And Abraham would also remind you and me that it means this, that we will have an influence in the choice of our children as regards their life partners. Oh, it was different in Oriental countries, to be sure, not the way we do it. But Isaac grew up and he needed a wife. There was to be a home established. And Abraham made up his mind, Isaac is not going to marry a Canaanite. He's not going to marry a heathen girl. He's not going to do that. God doesn't want that. He must marry somebody who knows the God Jehovah that I worship. He must be a, she must be a God-fearing person. And so he takes one of his servants, Eliezer, and he tells Eliezer, Eliezer, you go back to Haran where I've got a brother living. Yes, about 450 miles to the northwest, to the northeast. You go back to Haran and you find a wife for my son Isaac and you know the story about Eliezer going there and he found a young lady again from the brother's home who was so willing to come and her name was Rebecca or Becky as you call her today and Eliezer brought her back and that evening as Isaac was out in the fields waiting he saw the caravan coming and when Rebecca saw him she saw that he was a very handsome young man and he saw her, what a fine-looking young lady, and they were in love, and they were married. Abraham would say, be sure, Christian father, that you've got an influence. Oh, we can't force these things. Be sure that there's an influence that when your kids get married, that this is your concern. Whom are you marrying? It's so vital. It is so necessary. Uh, that those who become their life partners that they know Jesus Christ. 
It was necessary in his family life. Because you and I know it isn't always a bed of roses in the home. When Christ is there and there's love and there's kindness and there's a forgiving spirit, that's what makes the home a little bit of heaven on earth. And Abraham was concerned about Isaac, but Isaac found Rebecca, a God-fearing young lady. This makes life worth living. Father Abraham, we say, what does it mean to put God first, last, and always? And Abraham would remind you, man, means this, that as Christian fathers will always show love and concern for our children even after they are married. Isaac and Rebecca, they had their own home. But there was still love and understanding and kindness coming from Abraham and from Sarah. And then God blessed that union and Isaac and Rebekah became parents of twin boys, Esau and Jacob. Though what joy there must have been for Abraham and for Sarah, they became grandparents. For those of us who are grandparents have tasted some of that joy to see our children's children. When I think back on the Sunday in November when you honored me on my 40th ordination, it will be an unforgettable memory when my two grandsons were asked by you to be the acolytes. That meant something. That was something that is a precious memory that will go with me to the grave. Oh, the joy of grandchildren. There was a good relationship. And then when Sarah died and Isaac, he grieved for his mother very much. But what a comfort it was to have an Abraham, a father who understood and who comforted Isaac in the loss of his mother. This makes for a life worth living, doesn't it? And then Father Abraham, we'd say to him, Father Abraham, what does it all mean that we are determined to do God's will? This is the desire of our life that we want to do what God wants us to do, what God desires with regard to our children. And Abraham would remind you and me on the basis of your own life that it means this, that we will ever hold fast to this, that God's got plan and purpose and mission in life, not only for us, but also for our children. How do you think Abraham felt when he left Ur of the Chaldees, went up to Haran and came over here into a strange land lying on again on the Mediterranean Sea, this land of Palestine, this land of Canaan living there. God would give it to him someday and when would that ever take place? He, he never saw the day when God would actually give it to him. He only had one son. And you recall the story that from Esau and Jacob and again the family grew and then down in Egypt they were for over 400 years. And after about 500 years, God led them back into the land of Canaan, and then they took the land, but God had promised, and Abraham believed it. There was plan, and he saw purpose, that from his seed there would come one who would bless the world. This was the Messiah, and that's the word that began to apply to him, the promised one, this seed from Abraham. 
Have you ever wondered, Abraham didn't even realize how much God was planning his life. Have you ever wondered, as you read the story about Abraham, when God said, Abraham, I want you to sacrifice your son, go up on Mount Moriah. Did you ever say to yourself, why Moriah? You know, a lot of times we miss that. If you take your Old Testament map, Moriah, we say, I wonder why he was to go to Mount Moriah and sacrifice Isaac. If you take your Old Testament map and look at Mount Moriah and then take the map a little later, you and I find that Mount Moriah later became the site of a city called Jerusalem. Did you ever hear of it? 2,000 years before Jesus came, Mount Moriah, and then it becomes Jerusalem and David lived there and Solomon built a temple there in Mount Zion. This was Mount Moriah. In other words, 2,000 years later, when Abraham had taken his son up on Mount Moriah, 2,000 years later, God's son, Jesus Christ, was on Moriah. Calvary, same place. When God's son, you see, it couldn't be Isaac because he was only a human being, a sinner. But 2,000 years later on Mount Moriah, it was God's son without sin. Who was the great substitute? The ram whose horns had been caught. Again, prefigured the lamb. God did provide the lamb. And when you and I can believe that, that in the lives of our children, God has plan and mission and purpose. And we're going to continue to pray for them. We're going to keep alive the hope within us. That having brought them to the knowledge of Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, that we might have this joy of spending eternity with them in heaven. This is what it means, Christian fathers. We said ourselves, what's God's message? Abraham, the father of believers the father of the great nation of Israel, the father of believers, the one through whom Jesus Christ came, God in the warp and the woof as he weaves our lives and the lives of our children. He's got plan and he's got purpose. This is life at its best. This is why we pray. You and I think of our Christian fathers today. I think of mine. Mine's a father of memory. I think of him, oh, he was born, raised in South Chicago. I was a lad of about five years of age when my family moved from Chicago to East St. Louis. My father was in the lumber business. But we, we left Zion Lutheran Church in South Chicago. My father's father and my mother's father were charter members of that congregation. They helped build that building. My father, this was the joy of his life where he had been baptized and where he had been confirmed. We went to East St. Louis and we lived there a long time. As I think back of my father, he always had hope someday we'd go back to Chicago. That was home. Well, we never did. We grew up there in East St. Louis. And I can think of him today because of what Zion Lutheran Church meant. He never transferred his membership. He would never allow that to happen. That was home someday to go back and when again his days of illness came there was the promise from us children that we would see that he would be taken back to Zion that his funeral would be from that church Zion 
Oh, we were communicant members. He was. They used to have communicant members, you know, and voting members. He never became a voting member. But we were communicant members of the Lutheran Church in East St. Louis. But to my father, Zion, in Chicago. When the time of my ordination was to take place, which was 41 years ago this month, even though I had left that church at the age of five, I had been there and preached there several times, but it was, again, not the church of my childhood, but nevertheless, ordination had to take place there, and there's where it was. And in my father's illness, as I, I think of him, I remember when he asked me if I, when there was a heart condition and the lonely nights and he loved to read, if I would take some white cards and would type on some cards just a scripture verse of comfort, like the Lord is my shepherd, God so loved the world, I have loved thee with an everlasting love. Ask me, give me some cards that in the night when I'm awake that I, even though I can't read for long, that I can look over some cards and this was the comfort. And when death came, we shipped his remains back to Chicago and he lies his body at rest in Oak Hill Cemetery in Hammond, Indiana. I think of him and I think of the time we would walk home from church together. I think of him that as I walk the glory road and I pray our Father who art in heaven that somehow or other God is so loving and so kind because my father, Hans Hollinson, he didn't have a middle name, because my father in his kindness and in his love to me uh, caused me to be reminded that my heavenly father is kind and merciful too. Oh, Christian fathers, if our kids can walk the glory road and when they pray, Our Father who art in heaven, that they can say, God, you're merciful and kind because you're like the father I had. Oh, what an honor. Oh, what a distinction. God bless you. May you, Christian fathers, have a happy Father's Day. Amen. The peace of God which passeth all human understanding, keeping unite your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus unto life everlasting. Amen.